Hey everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Before this week's podcast begins, I want to give you a little heads up that this week is going to be different. This week I'm taking you back into our sermon archives to share with you one of my favorite sermons. And I hope that this sermon will challenge you, encourage you, and inspire you to take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Well, it is officially Easter Sunday. And if you've ever spent much time around church, or if you've been to many churches on Easter Sunday, you have a pretty good idea of what that means. On Easter Sunday at Melbourne Heights, it means that I have to wait for the sermon to start until all the kids have finished putting flowers on the cross. (laughs) But it also means that when you show up inside of the parking lot, the parking lot's a little bit fuller. On Easter Sunday, when you come into the sanctuary, it's supposed to take you a little bit more time to find your seat inside of the sanctuary. On Easter Sunday morning, everybody is supposed to show up and wear their Sunday best and wear their best smiles on their faces too. On Easter Sunday, the church that you're attending is supposed to pull out all of the stops to put together a worship service that you'll remember. And on Easter Sunday, the preacher is supposed to preach a sermon that you won't soon forget. And I want to stop on that last statement for just a minute. The, the one where the preacher is supposed to put together a sermon that you won't soon forget. I, I, I want to be honest with you all this morning and tell you something. That puts a lot of pressure on us preachers. Because we know the expectation. The expectation for Easter is that the sermon is going to be great. And you know what? You're not the only ones that want to hear a great sermon. I want to preach a great sermon too. So there's a lot of pressure that goes along with preaching on Easter Sunday. So every minister that I know, everyone who stands behind a pulpit, everybody who stands on a stage on this day and preaches and proclaims the good news that Jesus has risen, every single one of us put in a little extra time, put in a little extra work on our Easter sermon to make sure it's the best that it can possibly be. But what does that look like? What exactly does that mean that we put in a little extra time, a little extra work to make this sermon the best it can be? Well, for me, it means that I spend a lot more time in study and preparation. So the first thing that I do when I start working on my Easter sermon is I walk into my office. I've got a big library that's in there, and I go to the shelf that have all of my commentaries on them. And commentaries are just academic or books filled with academic information on particular passages of Scripture. So I go to these commentaries, and I pull out every one from all the, from the Scripture that I'm going to be preaching on that morning. And then I grab my legal pad, because I can go old school sometimes, and I start reading through these commentaries and making notes in my legal pad about things that I might want to incorporate and include inside of my Easter sermon. And when I finish up with those commentaries, the next thing that I do is I go to my shelves and I grab my theology books. And theology is one of those words that we use around church a whole lot, but we don't ever really stop and explain it. But all theology means is that's how we talk about God. Theology is just God talk. So theology gives us the language that we use when we speak about God inside of the church. So I'll pull out those books and I'll start reading up on terms like soteriology and eschatology and ecclesiology and a whole lot of other ologies. And I know what you're wondering right now. Can that possibly be as exciting as it sounds? Let me tell you, it is 100% as exciting as it sounds, okay? When I sit down and I read through these commentaries and these books on theologies, I have to take a break every 20 minutes because my eyes start to cross and the letters start to scramble and it feels like I'm reading word searches, to be perfectly honest. It makes my head hurt. So if it makes my head hurt, why do I do this? 
Well, one reason I do this is because it's really fun to stand up on the stage and say words like soteriology and eschatology and ecclesiology and watch everybody's face glaze over at the exact same moment in time. But the real reason, the real reason why I do this is because this day is something I can't wrap my mind around. Easter is too big for me to understand. It's too big for any of us to understand. And whenever I run across any idea, anything that is too big for me to understand, I want to overcomplicate it. We as people, we like to overcomplicate things. We really like to overcomplicate things. And I've got a picture that I'm going to show you that proves how much we like to overcomplicate things. This is the salad dressing aisle at Kroger. Okay? Actually, this is half the salad dressing aisle at Kroger. My camera lens couldn't get the whole thing into one picture. All right? In this picture, in this salad dressing aisle, there are 150 different types of salad dressing. These salad dressings include classic ranch, light ranch, buttermilk ranch, fat-free ranch, bacon ranch, peppercorn ranch, and three-cheese ranch. Who knew we needed seven different kinds of ranch dressing? Talk about overcomplicating things. But here's my favorite shelf. Let's go to the next picture. You may, not, you may be able to make out the words on these labels, but I love this shelf. On this shelf, there is carrot ginger vinaigrette. There is lemon chaya vinaigrette. There is harvest pumpkin vinaigrette. And I feel a little more pretentious just saying the names of these salad dressings, okay? These are fabulous. But salad dressing, salad dressing is simple, right? And all y'all are wondering right now, what in the world does salad dressing have to do with Easter? I'm going to get there, I promise. I can see the look on your face. I didn't come to church to get a sales pitch on uh, pumpkin spice salad dressing. But this is pretty simple, right? Salad dressing simple. You know what salad dressing is? It's the stuff that you put on the salad so that you can choke down the healthy stuff inside of the salad. It's really simple. It's really easy. And if we can overcomplicate something as simple as salad dressing, you better believe we can overcomplicate something as deep and rich as Easter. If we can make salad dressing this complex, how much more complex do we try to make Easter every single year? But the story of Easter It's a pretty simple story. It's the way the Gospel of Luke tells the story. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices that they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled away from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of their Lord Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then out of nowhere, it seemed two men with light cascading over them stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. And the men said, Why are you looking for the living in the cemetery? He is not here. He is risen. What an incredible story. Jesus, who was crucified and killed on a cross on Friday, is not inside of the tomb on Sunday. He is not inside of the cemetery. He is not with the dead because He is risen from the dead He is alive. But the resurrection is something that we can't completely wrap our minds around. We've never experienced anything like the resurrection before. So we want to make this story far more complex than it has to be. 
But what I want to do this morning is I want to simplify Easter. I want to get back to the core of what the story is all about. And to do that, I want to take you through a passage of Scripture where Jesus first explains what's going to happen, what the crucifixion, what the resurrection are all about. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, whether it's a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. We call this book a gospel because the word gospel means good news. And the book of John, the gospel of John, tells us the good news of Jesus Christ. It tells, us about his, it tells us about his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And then in the story we're going to be looking at this morning, we find a story of Jesus talking about what the cross, what the resurrection are all about. But we also find somebody inside of the story who is trying to overcomplicate things. That guy's name is Nicodemus. You heard Michelle mention him during the children's sermon. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And what, the Pharisee, what a Pharisee is, is it, was, it was a religious leader and scholar in the first century. So you have to think of a Pharisee as equal parts local politician and religious PhD. Okay? And when you put those two things together, as you can imagine, things tend to get a little complicated. So John chapter 3, we're going to start reading together in verse 1. This is what John tells us. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered, I assure you that unless someone is born anew, it's not possible for him to see God's kingdom. Now, inside of these first couple of verses, Jesus is clearly using a metaphor. He says that in order for you to see God's kingdom, you must be born anew, born again. But Nicodemus, Nicodemus is going to make things a little bit more complicated when we keep reading in verse 4. Listen to what Nicodemus says. He says, how is it possible for an adult to be born again? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, right? Of course, Nicodemus, it's impossible for you to enter your mother's womb and be born again. But Jesus isn't speaking literally to you. Jesus is speaking metaphorically to you. You missed the metaphor, and you're trying to make things more complicated than they have to be. So Jesus doesn't give up on Nicodemus and just face palm and move on. Jesus keeps talking, and he tries again to explain to Nicodemus what's happening. So Jesus answered in verse 5 and said, I assure you that unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, but whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now inside of this passage, these few verses, Jesus is talking about what you have to do to be born of the Spirit. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now let's just be honest, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, and there's a reason why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. It's because we're flesh, we're not spirit. So Jesus is saying, Nicodemus... When I said that you have to be born again, I was speaking metaphorically, and I didn't expect you to completely understand that because I'm speaking to you about something that is not of this world, not something that is flesh and bones that you as a person can understand. Nicodemus, what I'm talking to you is about comes from the Spirit. And guess what? You're never going to fully understand what comes from the Spirit as long as your spirit is tied up inside of your flesh. So, 
Jesus continues on, but he continues on after Nicodemus shows once again that he just doesn't get it. In verse 9, Nicodemus responds to everything that Jesus just said. All these things where Jesus said, you're not going to understand any of this, and Nicodemus says to him, how are these things possible? And again, Jesus is like, I just told you, Nicodemus, you aren't going to understand this. Stop. Stop, Nicodemus. Listen to me. And Jesus continues on in verse 10, and he answers Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things. And I want to pause here, because sometimes we think that Jesus is kind of speaking down to Nicodemus, where he's kind of like, man, you are a religious scholar. You have your PhD. You're supposed to get all this. How do you not understand this? But this isn't what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you have the most learning that is possible for a human being. You know as much about God and religion as anyone knows. And if you can't understand this, then nobody's going to be able to understand this. But just hang with me for a minute. So Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things, but I assure you that we speak about what we know and we testify about the things that we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe those earthly things, then how are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, who is the Son of Man. And let's pause right there for a second. Because once again, Jesus is just trying to explain to Nicodemus what it means for Nicodemus to be able to see the kingdom of God. Going back to earlier in the story, that's what he says. We want to help you. I want to help you see the kingdom of God. And for you to be able to do that, Nicodemus, for you to be able to do that, I've tried to explain this to you in terms that you understand. I've tried to say that for you to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus, you know what that means. You know what it means to be born because you yourself, you were born. Your mother gave birth to you. And Nicodemus, you have likely seen the birth of your own children. You know what it means to be born. So I tried to use language that you understand and you didn't get it. And if you can't understand it when I put it in terms that you should be able to understand, how in the world can you possibly understand it when I put it into direct terms? If you don't understand the human side, the flesh side of it, how can you possibly understand the spirit side and then in verse 13 and following this is where jesus is really making it as simple to him as he says as he possibly can in verse 13 jesus says no one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven who is the son of man jesus is saying here i'm the only one who has been to heaven who has come down from heaven i'm going to go back to heaven i'm the only one who has seen the spirit side on earth i'm the only one who can make sense of this to you so let me explain what's going on, what's happening here. And he continues on. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus says here, The Son of Man must be lifted up. Now this goes back to earlier on in the conversation. Again, Jesus is just trying to explain to Nicodemus how he can see God's kingdom, how he can experience heaven. That's all Jesus is trying to do. So he says that to do this, the only way this can happen is for the Son of Man to be lifted up. But let me simplify this for you. Let's understand who the Son of Man is and what it means for him to be lifted up. The Son of Man is language that Jesus commonly uses to refer to himself throughout Scripture. So Jesus is saying, I have to be lifted up up. And when we hear this, most of the time we go straight to the cross. I must be lifted up on the cross, which is exactly what happened on Good Friday. 
Jesus was lifted up and killed on the cross. But that's just one way that Jesus was lifted up. The other thing that Jesus is alluding to here is that He's not just lifted up on the cross, He will also be lifted up out of the grave. So in order for Nicodemus to see God's kingdom, in order for any of us to experience God's kingdom, what has to happen is that Jesus has to lay down His life to be lifted up on the cross and then to be lifted up out of the grave three days later. And in verse 16, Jesus is going to explain to us why. He's told us that all of this has to happen so that we can see, so that we can experience the kingdom of God. But now he's about to tell us why God wants us to see the kingdom of God. Why God wants us to be able to experience the kingdom of God. Why God desires us to be a part of his kingdom. When Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him won't perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. When you strip away all the complexity of Easter, when you get past the pomp and circumstance that we put on in our worship services on Easter Sunday, when you move past the theological words that we commonly throw out on Easter Sunday morning, when you get past all of those things, when you stop listening to everything that the commentaries have to say, you get to the simple truth of what Easter is all about. And Easter is all about for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever may believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Easter's about God's love. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son so that if you believe in Him, you won't perish but have eternal life. Easter is about God's love for you. It doesn't get much more simple than that. Easter is about God's love for you. God loves you so much. God loves you so much and God wants you, that God wants you to be able to see His kingdom. And as, as Jesus put it to Nicodemus, and God wants you to be able to see His kingdom so that you can experience life in His kingdom. God wants you, loves you so much that He wants you to be able to experience life on the other side of the cross. Because we as humans, as flesh and blood, we can only experience life on this side of the cross, the death side, the suffering side, the pain side, the persecution side, the betrayal side. That's the side that we can experience as flesh and blood, but God is saying there's a spirit side, the back side of the cross that I want you to have. I want you to experience the other side of Easter. I want you to experience the side of Easter where death has been defeated. I want you to experience the side of Easter where pain and suffering has come to an end. I want you to experience the side of Easter where love always beats hate. I want you to experience the side of Easter where hope 
always destroys despair. I want you to experience a side of Easter where peace overwhelms chaos. I want you to experience a side of Easter where joy will always conquer sorrow. God wants you to experience all of these things. And the only way that that's possible is for Him to send His Son into this world. The only way that that's possible is for Jesus to be lifted up on the cross and for Jesus to be lifted up on the grave. And when Jesus is lifted up on the cross and when Jesus is lifted up from the grave, death is defeated. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross and lifted up from the grave, pain and suffering end. When Jesus is lifted up, from the, up, up, lifted up on the cross and lifted up from the grave, hatred is being destroyed and beaten. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross and lifted up from the grave, despair is being destroyed. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross and lifted up from the grave, chaos is being overwhelmed. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross and lifted up from the grave, sorrow is being conquered. When God lifted His Son up on the cross, and he, when He lifted Him up from the grave, He did all of this so that we could be lifted up too. So that we could be lifted up from the physical side, the flesh side, to the spirit side. And God did all of it. Because God loves you. God did all of it because God loves you. Now that's not exactly an earth-shattering revelation. After all, many of you sitting inside of the sanctuary, you had John 3.16 memorized before you could actually sit down and read it, okay? We know this passage of Scripture. We know what it says. We know in our heads that God loves us. But just because we know what it says, that doesn't mean that we think it applies to us. Just because you've heard John 3.16, you may not think that it applies to you. Because here's the thing. If I asked you when you walked into the church this morning how God feels about you, I'm not so sure that every single one of us sitting inside of the sanctuary, the first thing we would have said is that God loves us, that God loves me. Because here's the deal. I know me. I know me. You know you. And because we know ourselves, we know. We know the ways that we fail. You know the ways that you fail. Because you know who you are, you know the wrong that you've done in your life. Because you know who you are, you know the ideals that you haven't been able to live up to, and because you know who you are, you know the people that you've let down along the way. You know the real you. And because you know the real you, you wonder if God could possibly love the real you. But Easter tells us that we don't have to doubt how God feels about us. We don't have to doubt how God feels about us, because God loves you so much that He allowed Easter to happen. God loves you so much that He sent His Son into this world for you. And if you were the only person that needed Jesus to come, God still would have done it because God loves you that much. God sent His Son into this world so He could experience the failure that we have in our lives. God sent His Son into this world so that He could experience the wrong that we have in our lives. God sent His Son into this world to experience the broken promises that we have in our lives. God sent His Son into this world to experience the disappointment that we have in our lives, and God did it 
God did it because he loves you. God loves you so much that he wouldn't let anything separate you from him. Nothing can separate you from God. God loves you so much that he won't let anything stand between you and him. Not your failure, not your wrongdoings, not your overcomplication of things. God will not let anything stand between you and him. So this morning, I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know how much God loves you. Because God loves you. Whether you have sat inside of the sanctuary every Sunday since this church started 60 years ago, and God loves you if this is the first time you have ever walked through the doors of any church in your life. God loves you. Even if you feel like you never mess up, but you do, God loves you. God loves you if you feel like you only mess up, which you don't, but God loves you. God loves you if you feel so close to God and it feels like he's sitting right beside you in your pew this morning. But God also loves you if you feel like God is a million miles away from you. God loves you. That's what this day is all about. God loves you. God loves you. You. That's what Easter is all about. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this day. For this day that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt how much you love each and every one of us. God, you loved us so much that you sent your Son into this world to experience the worst of us as people. To experience our hatred, our anger, our betrayal, our injustice. And you did it so that all of it could be forgiven. So that nothing can keep us from you. So God, let us bask today in being people that you love unconditionally and completely. Allow us to have that joy this Easter of knowing that we are loved more than we can ever imagine. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen. Hey everybody, it's Adam again. I hope this sermon challenged you, encouraged you, and inspired you to take the next step in your relationship with Christ. If it did, take a second and subscribe to our podcast. We drop a new sermon every Monday, and if you subscribe, you'll never miss one. And if you'd like to help someone else take the next step in their relationship with Christ, then let me encourage you to take a moment and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Your review goes a long way to help us share this podcast with others.